Good morning, church. My name is Matt Cecil. I'm the associate pastor here at Wesley UMC. I'm glad you are here to worship with us this morning. One quick announcement. Your bulletin cover uh, says that we're doing a new sermon series, but on the inside is correct. We're continuing our Baby Steps sermon series today. I'll be reading out of the book of Micah, chapter 6. I'll start in verse 1. Feel free to follow along in your, on your phones or in your own Bibles. Listen for the word of God. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab's king Balak had planned and how Balaam, Baor's son, answered him? Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. May God, may God add his richest blessings to the reading of his holy word. Amen. I want you to imagine something with me for just a moment. Imagine you're at conflict with God. Mm, that's not specific enough. Imagine you've sinned. That's really what I want you to do. Imagine you've sinned. I know that you would never do something like this, so you can just take your pick, choose a random sin that you've committed, and you've done it for a really good reason. You had to do it. Something that the circumstances just led you there. And so you had to do this Perhaps it's the lesser of two evils. Perhaps it was just something that was necessary for whatever other cause. But you had to do it. But even though you had to, even though you think it was a good thing, and even though you're using that to justify it to yourself, you feel something inside of you that's not right. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. Something inside just isn't right. And you want it gone because you know what you did was good. And so you do what we generally do in this situation. Get on your knees and you pray. Perhaps you come up to the altar rail during communion. Perhaps you go pray at home, wherever it might be. You go to the Lord in prayer and you say something like, Lord, today I did a really good thing. It really was actually very good. Now I know on the surface it looks like it wasn't a good thing. 
I know on the surface it, it holds a title of sin, but really it was good, and I've got the reasons to prove it. In fact, I've got these 47 reasons. I've printed them up. I've typed them out. I have it on a large sheet of paper in bold type, and I've laminated it. And what I'd really like is to present my case before you, Lord, so that you'll understand why I did what I did. And then you'll understand, and so you'll give me some peace. You'll take away whatever this is inside of me, this guilt or shame, and all will be well. Once we're on the same page, all will be well. And then the Lord responds. And the Lord says, you're hoping the Lord says something like, okay, let's do it. That sounds like a good plan. I appreciate that you printed out the list. I could have also accepted PowerPoint or calligraphy on a scroll. But the list will do just fine. The lamination is great. And we'll read through them. I'm sure you're absolutely right. And then I'll take away your guilt. And we'll move on from there. Except that's not how the Lord actually responds. Just what we were hoping for. Instead, the Lord says something like, Why have you left me? When did you forget about who I was? What I've done for you? When did you forget about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? When did you forget about Moses? And the fact that I led you out of slavery and out of Egypt. You crossed the Red Sea. When did you forget about the fiery furnace? About Jonah and the whale? When did you forget that I came down? I came down to earth in a manger because I love you. When did you forget that I walked on water? I healed many, that I cast out demons, that I taught you because I love you? When did you forget that I went to the cross for your sins and that I rose three days later for your salvation? And when did you forget that I pour out my love and grace on you every single day? You're swimming in it. When did you forget all of that? You realize that you were hoping to go to trial against the Lord and sit at the defense table and present your arguments, but now the tables have turned and you're actually on the witness stand and you don't have any reply. There's nothing to say. And so you go back to the Lord in prayer, you go back on your knees and you plead and you say, Lord, what can I do? I am not in right relationship with you and I need help what can I do to make things right so that my union with you can be restored and so that all can be made well? I'm happy to go to church more often. I'm happy to volunteer more at the church. Maybe I can be an usher on some Sundays. Do I need to tithe more? I can tithe more. Do I need to sell everything I own and give it to the poor? I'll do that for you, Lord, if I need to, if that's what it takes to be made into right in relationship with you. Lord, if, even if I need to move, 
If I need to leave Beaumont and start someplace new, start someplace fresh, Lord, for you I'll do it. And what happens when you say that prayer, and you wait on your knees pleading to the Lord, and you hear no response. You wait, and there's silence. Micah is a prophet. At the same time that Isaiah is a prophet, he's a prophet for Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, but he's preaching and prophesying at a time when the northern kingdom of Israel is being destroyed by the evil Assyrian empire. And they've done some bad things, and they're receiving their own judgment for it. And their judgment is their destruction and ultimately their exile out of the Holy Land. And they'll never return. They're going to be gone, erased from history. And so Micah, along with the other prophets at the same time, is preaching a common refrain. He's saying, if you keep doing the sins that you're doing, if you keep doing what you're doing right now, you're going to get exactly what the Israelites did, what the northern kingdom did. Jerusalem will be sacked and destroyed and exiled, and you'll never hear from us again. We'll be gone. So you need to get your act together so that we can love the Lord our God and act like we love the Lord our God. For our God is the only one who's alive. Our God is the only one who can save us. That's a pretty harsh message to hear. Uh, It's one that means we have to change things, but it's also one that is rather condemning. And so the people in Jerusalem push back. They don't really like to hear that. And they push back. And in doing so, they try to justify their actions. In fact, this is exactly where we picked up the story in Micah today. It's the people trying to justify what they've done and God responding. It's also the exact same thing that we imagined to begin with. It's this idea that we know we did something wrong, but we can justify it to God. And then when God shows up, when God actually replies after we've tried our justification, we realize how woefully poor our justification ever was. We realize how woefully inadequate it ever was. And the reason that we try to justify our actions, and that we try to give ourselves that excuse, and we try to give it to God as well, is because we know the difference between right and wrong. We know that simple difference between right and wrong. We know what's good and what's bad. We've known since we were children, since we were taking our first baby steps. Our parents taught us, our school taught us, our church taught us. We also learned from friends and siblings and other family, perhaps. Perhaps in some cases, you might feel you've just always known as if it was just always there, written on your heart, that difference between right and wrong. Now I know some of you are thinking, that's pretty simple, Matt. 
the world doesn't really operate quite that easy, quite, quite that nice and neat. It's not always right and wrong, good or bad, black and white. Sometimes it's somewhere in the middle, this gray area. I went to college. When my professors asked me a question, they weren't asking if I knew the right answer. They were asking if I could defend my answer. Can you justify it to me? Can you prove that you know enough about it to defend it? And so whenever I was writing an essay, inevitably I would use the same phrase or a similar phrase that went, well, it depends. Right? It depends on the people involved. It depends on the place. It depends on the history. It depends on the context. Maybe it's right here, but it's wrong in this other situation. Maybe it's wrong here, but it's right in this other situation. It might usually be wrong, but it depends, and so, in some cases, it's okay. In some cases, that sin is actually all right to do. Right? We try to justify our answer. We like to say that we live in this in-between. We don't really live in the black and white. We live in this gray, because life is complicated and difficult. And so let me affirm that. Life is complicated and difficult. And there is some gray in our lives. There are some things that are exceedingly complex, exceedingly complicated. There's some of that. But let me be clear when I say there's not much. It's far rarer than we like to think that it is. We're not surrounded by the gray. It's not consuming us. There isn't nearly as much gray as we like to think. The vast majority of our decisions are, in fact, clear. That may not mean that they're simple, but they're clear, and we know what's right and what's wrong. And one of the reasons I know that is because we're all sitting here today peacefully. You don't have to be sitting here peacefully. I want to be clear by that. You could be heckling. You could be throwing things. You could be violent or rude. But you're not. Right? We're sitting here peacefully. When you drove here this morning, you could have intentionally rear-ended the person in front of you because they were going five miles slower than the speed limit. You could have caused chaos and destruction, but you didn't. You drove safely here. You know how to act when other people are around. You know how to do what's right in those cases. And I know the examples that I've just used are obvious and therefore perhaps extreme. But you know how to act right in the nuance as well, in the complex as well. You know how to treat people well. That in communication is important to building and developing relationships. Communication is important to building trust. And you know that lying breaks that trust and creates a community of mistrust. Even when there's a big, complicated mess in our lives and we may not even realize how we got stuck in the middle of it, even when it seems the world is against us, it seems like we've messed up so much that we don't know how to dig our way out, 
We don't have to know exactly what to do. We know that we could apologize. We know that we could ask for forgiveness and admit that we did something wrong. We could say we're not going to do it and then actually follow through with that. We know how to set the record straight. We don't always do that. Perhaps we don't do it as often at all as we should, but we know that we can and that that's an option. And so in our passage this morning, with the Israelites knowing that they did something wrong, they first try to justify it. Then they hear from God how woefully inadequate that justification is. And then they go back to God and say, what can we do to fix our relationship? They hear silence. Nothing comes from God. Instead, Micah responds. He responds with one of the most famous phrases, one of the most famous verses in our Old Testament. And he says, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. It's not words spoken by on high. It's not words that come from an angel. It's just Micah, the prophet a man who knows God well and loves God, a man who's served God for years, a man who knows his scripture, knows the law very, very well, inside and out, a man who is practicing these things. He does justice. He loves mercy. He does walk humbly with God. And he's the one that shares He's a person, just like you or me, who knows the difference between right and wrong. And he knows that these three things, to do justice, love mercy, and walk with God, are at the very heart of what it means to be a human, the very heart of what it means to be a child of God. And so that's why he shares it. That's why he tells these things to the Israelites. 750 years later, after Christ has come, after Christ has died and, and resurrected, after Christ has offered all of his teaching and said that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Paul comes on the scene knowing all of that, and he says the exact same thing that Micah does, but he says it in a different way. He says, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know the law because it's written on your heart. It's already been placed there. And so it's not about reading it every single day, necessarily. It's about knowing it and living it out because it's already there. And for that reason, God doesn't need to respond to the Israelites because he already has. They already have the answer. They're seeking for a different solution by asking for sacrifices, asking for ridiculous amounts of gifts that they can give to just make things right, even offering their firstborn child. And Micah says, no, it's not any of that. God has already given you the answer, and you know it.
Amy, if I can brag about my wife for just a moment, is an excellent deaf education teacher. Uh, she's really wonderful, and one of the things that makes her really great at her job is that she has a passion for reading, and she's able to pass on that passion to her students. I don't know how she does it every year, but usually four to six months into the school year, her kids start coming to her and asking, I want to read more. And then she starts seeing amazing growth in the last few months of the year. And so that happened a couple weeks ago. Her students started coming to her and saying, we want to read more. We want to see what it is that you see when you read. And so show us more. Can you get us these books? And they came to her with a list of books that she doesn't have. This was kind of surprising to me because Amy has a pretty big bookshelf, uh, bookcase, and both at school and then in our house. But we looked at the list and, and we decided we couldn't get all of them then. We couldn't get all the, all the kids' books that they wanted. And then Amy had an idea. So what she did was she made an Amazon wish list, she set it to public, and then she shared it on social media. She shared it on Facebook. And she told her students very clearly what she was doing and said, I don't expect many to be able to buy these books for you. Just know that there might be a couple that come in. And then over the course of the rest of the semester, we'll try to fill in the rest. We'll fill in the gaps so that we get you all the books that you'd want. I didn't see the post. I didn't know about it or hear any part of the story until one night when I came home from, from meetings. And Amy told me what she had done earlier that day, and she said, all the books are bought. It's all done. I don't have any words. And she said, and I, I didn't put all of the books on there because I didn't want to come across as, as greedy. Uh, I didn't want to come across that way, but everybody bought books, and now people are asking me for more. And so she put up the rest of the books or more books on the list, and by the next day, all of those were bought. It was really amazing to see the outpouring of love and care that so many people had. Some, of course, were family and friends, but so many were not. Friends of friends, friends of coworkers that Amy and I have no idea who they were. We've never met. People that saw a need in the community or saw a need in education for these kids that were wanting to learn and wanting to read and so they chipped in, bought a book or two or three or seven. It was really amazing to see. And so after all the books came in, Amy uh, took the books to school, gave them to the kids. They each grabbed their favorite one, the one that they were reading, and they were able to take a picture. The kids so wanted to thank everybody who was supporting them, everyone who was caring about them. And so that's what we see on the screen there really amazing and a blessing to see the outpouring of love and care. Church, we know how to act right. We know how to treat other people. We know how to help children feel loved. We know to ask for forgiveness when we've made a mistake. 
to right our wrongs. We know to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessings on each of us as we seek to do your will. Give us the courage to live as you've called us to live so that we know exactly what to do because you've already placed it here on our hearts. Lord, we thank you for who you are and we ask your grace now as we go into Holy Communion. We pray these things in your name. Amen.